Okay, guys, we're in Revelation chapter 19. We're going to look at the second coming today. We're going to look at the reality of Jesus Christ coming back. You know, a lot of people talk about the second coming, and uh, right now, you know, if you're, you're aware of it, there's some guy, whatever, uh, really pushing the issue about uh, May 22nd. You know what? The reality is, is Jesus is coming back. Nobody knows when. Jesus said, nobody knows. Nobody's going to figure it out. In fact, Jesus says that in that day when he comes, people will be given in marriage. Life's just going to go on as normal. And so what we're going to see here today is what John shares with us about the second coming of Christ. So let's look, first of all, at verses 1 through 3. We're going to actually verses 1 to 10, we're going to see a song of hallelujah, a song of praise in heaven before the coming happens. Look with me, verses 1 to 3. After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who has corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of her servants shed by her. Again they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. First thing, guys, the basis for praise is the destruction of Babylon. Again, remind you, we're not talking about Babylon, the city, or the ancient city that's in Iraq today. We're talking about some future world government that controls the world. And as remember, our last lesson we looked at, we talked about the destruction of that, of that entity. Well, here there is a praise being given in these verses for the destruction of Babylon. Now, in your mind, if you want to, you can make a, you can put a mark in your notes if you want. Right here with verse 1 is a major shift in the focus of the book of Revelation. Another major shift. So basically chapters 4 through 18 were focused on the events of the tribulational period. So chapters 4 through 18 were focused on the events, that seven-year period known as the tribulation, Chapters 4 through 18 were focused on those events. So now there's a shift happening because the tribulational period is over and now we come to the place where Jesus Christ is coming back. So we see a shift happening here. So then in verses 1 to 3 we see a multitude. The multitude praise God for His righteous judgment and retribution. The multitude praise God for His righteous judgment and retribution. Now let me just stop for a moment so that you understand when we talk about the second coming of Christ and we're talking about the events of the second coming when Jesus comes back, when we talk about the judgment of Babylon and all that's taken place and, and, and the whole focus of the tribulation and all of the judgments that were poured out on this world, the key word that I need you to understand with reference to all of it is retribution. That's the key word. Retribution. When God does all of these things, He is basically paying back the world for what it has done to God's people. You understand what I'm saying? He's paying back the world for what they have done to God's people, 
and paying back the world for what they have done to God. Do you understand? So, I mean, what do you mean what they've done to God? Well, think about our culture today, folks. If you think about our culture today, if you think about our world today, where, where's God rank with our world today? Forget, forget Christians, but where does God rank with most people today? Huh? He doesn't rank. I mean, he's an afterthought, or, or, you know what, if things go bad, maybe I'll talk to him. But if he doesn't give me what I want, then the heck with him. Do you know what I'm saying? That's the attitude. And so, and we do whatever we want to do. So when you talk about the tribulational period, and now with the second coming, the multitude are praising God for his righteous judgment on the earth, but they're also praising him for his retribution. Because it's payback time. You understand what I'm saying? It's payback time. You know, which, let me help you understand something here. How many of you have had, you don't need to raise your hand, but just think in your mind, how many of you had somebody do you wrong? What kind of feelings do you have when somebody does you wrong? You're like, whew, glad that happened. Is that your attitude? How many of you, how many of you would say, yeah, the attitude, I want to pay them back. How many of you know, is that true? Here's the thing. Over and over in the Bible, in the New Testament, especially with the teachings of Jesus, we are told that vengeance belongs to who? To the Lord, to God. You know, and, and, and leave it in His hands because He's going to set all things right. You know what? Even if you got vengeance, are you satisfied? No, no. No, you're never satisfied. Because vengeance doesn't belong to us. Vengeance belongs to who? God. And what we're going to see here is that God does pay. There is a payback day. There is a payday for people who do wrong. You understand? And this is what we're seeing here. So the multitude praise God for his righteous judgment and retribution. Now look at verses 4 through 5. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. So first of all, the 24 elders praise God as a general call to praise is given. So there's a general call to praise. So everybody's called to praise the Lord, and so the 24 elders are praising him there. But there's a proclamation that's happening. There's a, a wedding proclamation. Look with me in verses 6 through 9. And I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of many thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Okay, so let's first of all, there's an announcement of a marriage here. The announcement of the marriage of the Lamb and his bride is given. The announcement of the marriage of the Lamb and his bride is given. So let's stop for a minute. Let me help you understand what's going on here. First of all, who's the lamb, folks? Jesus. Okay, who's the bride? 
the church. So at the second coming, there's an announcement of a wedding. Because remember, all of the, if you think about all the Gospels, Jesus talks about he, he's gonna, it's like a bridegroom coming. So the bridegroom is coming for who, folks? The church. You see the reality of it. So there's an announcement of the marriage here of the Lamb and His bride, who is the church. Now, the blessing is given. Now, here's the wonderful thing. A blessing is given to those who will be a part of the marriage feast of the Lamb. So, very clearly, there's a blessing given here. And he's saying that blessed are those who have a part in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, think about that. We understand that a little bit because when we have weddings in our area, now it's a little bit different down south where I'm from because when you have a wedding down south, you have like an hors d'oeuvre reception in South Carolina. You just have you just have hors d'oeuvres. I mean, just finger food. Now up here, you folks, you go all out. I mean, you have, I mean, you cater, I mean, you, whatever. You have a big spread and, and you, you have a sit-down meal and everything. I remember when Lori and I got married, I said, we're going to do it like down south. Forget this big meal stuff, you know what I'm saying? But that's an expectation up here is to have a big meal, is it not? So you guys can relate to what's talking about. So when you're invited to the reception, you're invited to something pretty special if you're invited to a reception around here, isn't it? Because, I mean, they're folks, they've they, they got a plan for a certain number of people to come and a big meal, and it's a, usually a good spread or whatever it is. Same thing's happening here. The writer is saying, Blessed are those who are going to take part in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those. Here, you want to, in everyday talking for us, blessed are those who are going to take part in the reception of this wedding. Now, who's that, folks? Who's going to take part in this wedding? Who's going to sit down to this dinner? Jane said it. Me. Isn't that wonderful? Now, again, I want you to think back to the Gospels for a moment, because remember, there's many, many of the parables Jesus talks about. He says things like this, that you know, a, a master or a lord wanted to have a party, and so he sent out invitations and nobody responded. So then when nobody would respond, he sent out his servants to bring out everybody from the byways and the highways, the, the less than people, and they came. And so they sat down to a great feast. But then the folks who got the invitation who didn't respond showed up, and Jesus was like, what? Depart from me. Never knew you. See, here's the thing. This is an exclusive meal. This is an exclusive celebration. And if you know Jesus, you're going to be a part of it. Isn't that exciting? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's primarily for you, God's children. That's, that's the point he's making here. So a blessing is given to those who will have a part in the marriage feast of the Lamb. Now look at verse 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So here's what he's saying. The angelic being tells John to worship God only. So then we get to verse 11 through 21, and this is the description of the second coming of Jesus. So I want you to notice with me verses 11 through 13, the rider on the white horse. 
Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. Here's what I want you to see, folks. First of all, the heavens open. John sees the heavens open and a rider on a white horse. Folks, the eastern skies are going to crack one day, and Jesus is going to appear, and he's going to appear on a white horse. Now, why a white horse? Because in that culture of that time, a white horse was signifying of a conquering hero. So Jesus appears on a white horse as a conquering hero. You understand? He's going to appear in the sky as a conquering hero. Now we also know from the scriptures that from the scriptures we know from the gospels that Jesus says that when that happens the the nations will see him and they will mourn. Now you and I are going to be excited to be a part with Jesus in the marriage feast of the lamb. But when Jesus appears in the sky, the conquering hero the nations, that's anybody who's left here on this world after all the tribulations that have happened, is going to be mourning. It's not like something they're going to look forward to when Jesus comes back. Let me just stop for a moment. That is a point you need to recognize. You may be excited and look forward to Jesus coming back, but I'm going to tell you something. Most people aren't. Do you understand what I'm saying? Most people aren't excited about Jesus coming back. Because he's going to set things right. He's going to rule with a rod of iron, the Bible says. So here he is. He's the conquering hero. The heavens open up, and there's Jesus. Here's a, here's a piece of trivia that I think is interesting. In Jerusalem, they still have the old city gate. The, the wall, the Jerusalem wall is still there around the city. And there's a western gate that tradition says that the Messiah will enter into when he comes. So guess what they did several hundred years ago? The Muslim rulers of that town, guess what they did? They blocked up the entrance. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Those blocks ain't going to hold Jesus back. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's coming. And so notice, first of all, the rider on the white horse, his name. Here's his name. The rider is called Faithful and True. He's faithful. He's true. Here's his authority. The writer has authority as he judges and rules. I mean, he is the ultimate judge. He's the ultimate ruler. He has authority. Now, there's another component of Jesus here that we don't know, and I don't think we'll ever know. He has an unknown name. The writer has a name that no one knows. Let me just stop for a moment. Can I I just remind you, this is the second time in this book that we've seen this. This book doesn't reveal to you everything, does it? In fact, here's the thing. You're never going to know everything about God. You're never going to know everything about Jesus. Because here it clearly says he comes as a conquering hero. He's faithful and true. He rules and he, he reigns and... He's got a name that no one knows except himself. 
There are things about Jesus you're never going to know. Okay? So the point is being made is that Christ is indescribable. That's the issue here. You cannot get a handle on who Jesus is. He's indescribable. Now notice how he's clothed, his apparel. He is clothed in a robe permanently stained with blood. He's clothed in a robe permanently stained with blood. Now what what does this this blood-stained robe mean? Here's what it means. The blood points to his sacrifice on Calvary. The blood is his own blood, folks. It's the sacrifice that he made for us. He was the lamb who was slain. And then again, he has another name. Again, do you understand? Jesus has many names. God has many names in the Scripture. Why does he have many names? Because the many names, each name describes a facet of who he is. And he has many names because he's multifaceted. And we just saw that he has a name that nobody knows. He's indescribable. Well, one aspect of how he's described here, he's called the Word of God. The name Word of God points to his significance and his supremacy. Now look, we're going to see the king and his army. Look at verses 14 through 16. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay, so first of all, let's notice the armies. John sees a heavenly army following the rider. Let me just stop for a moment. Who's this army? Anybody got a guess? Look at how they're described. What you say, Marilyn? Marilyn says us. Folks, you're going to ride with Jesus. You understand? You're going to be with him. Now, notice how it describes you. You're going to be clothed with white. What does it say there? Read the verse. Read verse 14. How's the army clothed? with clean linens. Basically, it's going to talk about we're going to be seen as righteous because we have the righteousness of Jesus. Do you understand when it talks about white being arrayed in white? It talks about being arrayed in righteousness. The reality is is that you folks are going... You you may say, well, I never served in the military. Well, you're going to be in a great army one day. And here's the thing about being in the great army with Jesus. You're not going to need to fight. You're just going to be riding along with him. Because there isn't going to be a fight. Do you understand? Because right after this, he talks about that out of his mouth comes a sword, which is what? The Word of God, which he's able to strike the nations with. He's able to rule and conquer the nations by just his Word. Now think about that. With his Word, he spoke everything into existence. Do you think he can wipe out armies with just his Word? So we're not go, we're going to be with him riding in this great army of all of the saints with him. You're going to be on a white horse. Isn't that awesome? You're going to ride with him when he conquers. But you're not going to have to fight. 
you're not going to have to fight because it isn't going to be much of a war. Do you understand? It isn't going to be much of a war. Because here, notice the coming king. He will strike down and rule the nations. He will just speak the word and it will be done. It will be over. In fact, here's what it says in verse 15 through 16. His victory will be complete. It's going to be like a half thing going on. You know, like for instance, like you think about the Korean War. You know, the Korean War is still going on. You guys know that? What they have is a ceasefire going on there. There's no peace in Korea. It's just a ceasefire. The war is still going on. And, you know, and usually when you have peace treaties and stuff, there's give and take going on. Folks, this is a complete victory. There isn't going to be any give and take here. Jesus, when he comes, he's going to conquer. And in fact, he is supreme over the entire world. That's why he's given the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is supreme. He's the supreme ruler. When he comes back, that's it, baby. You understand what I'm saying? That's it. It's done. It's over. In fact, verses 17 through 21 tells us what he does with the wicked. Notice with me, verse 17 through 21. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. But then the beast was captured and him and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence and by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And these two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeds from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Not a pretty sight, is it? So let's talk about it. First of all, a call to the birds. An angel calls to the birds to come and feast on the dead bodies of the wicked. Now, we live in a rural area here. We kind of know what kind of what birds eat on, on dead carcasses, don't we? We got turkey buzzards. We got crows. I mean, you, you know what kind of animals they are. You know, any kind of flesh-eating bird, which we have a few of them around here, are called. The angel calls these birds to come and, and be a part of a great feast. And he calls them to come and feast on the dead bodies of the wicked. Now, here's the interesting thing. The beast and the armies make war against Christ and his army. Now, this is ridiculous, isn't it? This is what you call deception. Remember, remember when I told you that even in spite of everything that happened, they refused to repent and glorify God. Here, here's God himself coming on a horse. Nothing like this has ever happened before, and these guys decide to make war against him. It's craziness, isn't it? Craziness. But notice something. Here's what's going on now. The Antichrist and the false prophet are captured. I mean, they're just taken. They're taken. And, and, and you say, well, why are they taken? Well, judgment's coming. 
And I want you to notice that judgment is immediate because they are immediately thrown into the lake of fire. He said, now what's the lake of fire? We understand hell. But folks, ultimately hell is the lake of fire. It is the place of judgment that God reserved for angels that, that uh, rebelled against him. But that's ultimately where all men who don't know Jesus are going is the lake of fire. And so there isn't even just a time to even talk about what they've done. They're captured and immediately thrown into the lake of fire. It's that instant. That's immediate judgment for them. But I want you to notice what happens to their armies. Christ destroys the armies of the beast. Now, how does he do it? Look at what the verse says, verse 21. He does it with what? The sword out of his mouth. Now, what is that again, folks? The word of God. He is just going to speak the word and they are destroyed. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Now, what kind of battle is that? Yeah, one-sided. It's pretty lopsided, isn't it? Listen, here's the thing. When God comes back, when he makes that decision, when Jesus comes back, when the decision is made, when Christ will come back, when the second coming happens and the wicked are judged, there is no wiggle room. You understand, when it happens, it happens, and it's over. You know, the story is told, um, Liberia, a few years ago, the Western African nation of Liberia, had a civil war. And there was a lot of carnage and death that was going on. And a missionary was in a neighboring country, and he was doing some teaching. And some of the folks that he was teaching were from Liberia leaders from Liberia. And so he had a question and answer time. And as true to an African, they, they would ask questions that we, you and I would not ask. And so they were studying the passage about that when Jesus comes back, there will be a, a trumpet and a shout. So one of the Africans asked, what will the shout be? What will the shout be? That's a pretty good question. What will the shout be? And the missionary said he pondered everything that had happened, everything that happened in Liberia and all of the brutality and all of the carnage, everything, the civil war and all of the, everything that was going on in the world at that time. And here's what he said to him. He said, I think God will shout, the angel will shout, enough. 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 Folks, when he comes back, it'll be enough. Do you understand what I'm saying? It'll be over. That's awesome. Isn't it? Because let's be honest, it keeps going on, doesn't it? Evil keeps going on. Wickedness keeps going on. People keep doing wrong things. People keep doing, doing each other wrong. Murders and rapes and, and everything just keeps going on and on and on. And we just keep wondering, when's it going to end? When's it going to end? Folks, chapter 19 tells us that one day it's going to end. It's going to be over. And when he comes, he's just going to speak the word, and it's done. It's over. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Okay? All right, let's uh, close our time in prayer and get ready for the morning worship service.